Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. And can we just say, what a day. It's been a day of chaos on Capitol Hill. I mean, well, they voted. No persons having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname. A speaker has not been elected. Well, and they voted again. No person having received the majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. So they voted again. No person having received the majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. So the third time was not the charm. And this lasted for almost five hours. Talking about three consecutive ballots, and they could not elect a Speaker of the House. And this was, frankly, a once-in-a-century occurrence. This hasn't happened in the last 100 years, not to be able to finalize who was going to be your Speaker in that first round, let alone after three rounds, and there's still no conclusion. A tough day, everyone can say, for Kevin McCarthy. After all this time, his dream of being Speaker was within his reach, and he believes it still is, but so far, it has exceeded his grasp. So the question is tonight, where are we now? I mean, there's still no Speaker of the House, and they're going to do the whole thing over again tomorrow, beginning at noon. So here's where it all stands tonight. Kevin McCarthy does not, as we sit here today, have the votes, does not have that magical number of 218, let alone the majority of those who are voting in present. But then again... He's not alone because neither does anybody else. Now, there's no doubt that the horse trading will be going on, frankly, all night long, likely as we are conversing with one another right now. But it's not at all clear what could actually break the impasse. Jim Jordan, whose name was up there even getting votes, he says he doesn't want it. But is there any chance that you may be Speaker of the House? No, watch yourself. Uh... No, I, I'm being clear. I want to. I want to. I want to chair Judiciary Committee. Um, I mean, you guys know. I like. I like this ability to cross-examine witnesses and get the get the truth for the country. So that's what I'm focused on. What needs to change between now and when this ends? Votes uh, need to change. It looks like to me. So how do you do that? Though? I don't know. We're going to work on it. Well, Congressman Jordan's talking, but Congressman Steve Scalise isn't. Congressman, what is McCarthy going to do tomorrow? Is he going to drop out of the race? What's the next move for the GOP? Would you accept if you become, if you get the votes to become speaker? Of course, they're asking because he's the number two. And there's been thoughts about would he or wouldn't he if he, in fact, were given the opportunity to get those votes. And the Democrats, they sure are not prepared to help them out 
and get out of the mess that's now been created. We are looking for a willing partner to solve problems for the American people, not save the Republicans from their dysfunction. A willing partner. Well, new tonight, the so-called Never Kevin camp is working the phones or trying to get to grow their opposition against Kevin McCarthy. Even have a pro-McCarthy GOP lawmaker telling CNN that one of the so-called Never Kevin Republicans just called them and tried to get them to change their vote. This is a sign that both sides are now digging in and trying to whip votes in their own direction. I want to bring in now Congressman Pete Sessions, a Texas Republican who voted for McCarthy three times today. Congressman, thank you for being here. It's been quite a day. Um, I wonder if what your initial reaction was. Did you expect that Mr. McCarthy would not get those votes as of tonight? Laura, it was unclear until we really went to voting of how deep-seated these 19 people are, how deep-seated they are in their resolve that I believe Kevin not become speaker. Our conference is faced with a real conundrum. We want to get on with our work. We believe we've earned this. We believe we have committees ready with work ahead of us. But we also know, and as a Texan, I take very seriously and understand that the issues at our border, in our cities, on our streets, fentanyl, drugs, overwhelming people, New York City experiencing much of the same, many of the same problems that come from our border. We have a problem with inflation. And our conference is serious, as well as our voters, about making sure that we have a person that is able to effectively take these challenges on at a time when we don't have the Senate nor the presidency. And these people... Who is that person, Congressman? Because at the moment, I mean, I understand the resolve and what voters certainly want. And every issue that you just pointed out certainly is top of mind for many, many people. But none of that can really start, right, until there is a speaker elected. So who will that be? Well, it takes 218. That's the rule. And so it means that 203 is not 218. And so the conversation took place, has been taking place for weeks, took place today as a family uh, get-together that we had in the Capitol that did not resolve that matter. And so we went to the floor unresolved. And I think many people now see where both sides are dug in. The question is, at what point do we have adults that come forward and say, We've got to figure this out. And I think that's what tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow are about. So what's happening tonight? I mean, obviously, it adjourned around 5.27 p.m. this evening. Yeah. Um, so, so surprise of some that it wouldn't have just continue to go on. Obviously, in a tongue-in-cheek moment, um, Speaker McCarthy, hopefully, hopeful in his mind, Speaker McCarthy, as he wants to be, thought that he could withstand it and that people would essentially no longer dig in their heels. And although they came in unresolved, they could actually make it happen. But in reality, there's not resolution. There has been, I'm assuming, talks right now up till tonight, even as you and I are speaking, about how to get to that magic number. What are the efforts being made right now to try to make that happen even tomorrow? I think there's a clarification about what these 19 members are for. Uh, we, they vote for Jim Jordan. I get that. Jim Jordan says he doesn't want that. Mm -hmm. 
at some point you have to change your focus to what do you want before we're able to get to resolution. What we want, what they want, and what the conference wants is to be able to resolve the matter with the person who is able to get the 218 votes. And I, I don't think it's so hard. I think it's a matter of both sides coming to a realization of listening to each other. And I think that's when Mr. McCarthy understands whether he's in or out. And his supporters understand, like me, whether we're in or whether, whether we're out. Because we as a group want to address these problems for the American people. Congressman, what would make you be out, so to speak? I mean, you've got the number 19 was the initial of the first and the second round. Of course, it did go up in the wrong direction if you are a hopeful That's to right. be a speaker, up to 20. And one would think that as the time goes on, there might be others who say, you know what? It's not going to happen. I'm not seeing the resolution, so I might want to jump ship as well. Given that, are you concerned that this might be a trend in the direction away from getting to that number for McCarthy? I will tell you there's hardball being played on both sides. There are conversations. There's pressure on people. There's outside pressure. Uh, My phone blows up. Other phones, people are receiving these same calls. But we have to get to what are people after? What are these 19? What are they willing to accept? Because otherwise, it will be, become ugly for us. And I, I, think, I think that there's resolution that can happen. Now, with that said, they've got to be willing to say what that is. You just can't be against something. You have to be for something at some point. And I thought that that's what we would figure out with Jim Jordan. Well, he doesn't want it. At some point, it, it seems as though the negotiation becomes not in good faith if you're unclear as to what the other side necessarily wants. But we do have some sound in this evening. Um, our own Manu Raju did speak to Congressman Kevin McCarthy. Let's listen to what he had to say. Do you need Trump to come out and reiterate his support for you? Uh, Trump, Trump has already reiterated his support. I talked but to him tonight. He's always been there. What, how was that conversation tonight? Uh-huh. Why did you decide to adjourn today rather than going okay. to multiple votes? And will you adjourn tomorrow? I, I didn't think it was. I didn't think we were going to get any more productive by continuing on the day. I mean, we've gone through where we are, and I think the best way, and with discussions with some other members of the other side, why don't we just get in a room and talk? And so I think we made our points, and we're just going to get in a room and talk. Is there right. any no scenario where you're backing out? No. Is there any reason for us? You guys ask me that same question a lot. So I'll let you know when that happens, okay? But it's not going to happen. Well, of course, he'll let us know if he's dropping out. He says he's not going to drop out of the race. It doesn't not surprise you, I'm sure. But the point at the very beginning was about the former president, Donald Trump, and obviously once again candidate, about whether he would reinstate or reinforce his um, endorsement. Now, he hasn't withdrawn it by any stretch of the imagination. But does it concern you, given what he's saying? I mean... There is an endorsement from Trump, but it didn't stop 20 Republican members of Congress from not voting in favor of him. What's your thought? Well, and it won't stop these 20. These 20 are, or uh, the associated number, is is firm. So what's going to happen is people on both sides are going to have to try and find a way. What is an answer? What is a a third rail? I don't know. A, A way that we can move through this. And there are limitations on both sides. There are clear limitations on both sides. So sitting here today, do you think there is a concession that 
McCarthy has left to give. I mean, he has given some. Some would say that it would lead to, even if he were to win, a sort of Pyrrhic victory where the concessions he's made would trump the victory. Well, we were... We were really given the the viewpoint today that uh, those negotiations had ended and that it was just a matter of how long were the 13 or 19 going to dig in. Mm. I think it's obvious to me they're going to dig in. I think it's obvious to every person who is there that they grew the vote. They did not lose people on that vote. So I think it's a matter of we've got to figure out, we've got to know what are the 19 people for well, I'll tell you tonight, Congressman, um, there is a, a letter that was written by Congressman Matt Gates, dated today, written to the architect of the Capitol, excuse me, um, the Honorable J. Brett Blanton, saying, I write to inform you that the Speaker of the House office located in the U.S. Capitol building is currently occupied by Representative Kevin McCarthy. As of this morning, the 117th Congress adjourned sin die, and a Speaker from the 118th Congress has not been elected after three undeciding votes. No member can lay claim to this office. What is the basis in law? House rule or precedent to allow someone who was placed second in three successive speaker elections to occupy the speaker of the House office. How long will he remain there before he is considered a squatter? Please write back promptly, as it seems Mr. McCarthy can no longer be considered speaker designate following today's balloting. Signed, Florida Congressman Matt Gates. Talking about what it is that some of the 19 people who voted against him want, it seems tonight it's get out of the office. What's your reaction? Well, this is hardball, and both sides... Uh, it's calling play- him a squatter. Well, that's hardball. Both sides went uh, in their annunciation this morning at conference, played hardball. And then we saw it on the floor. I'm very hopeful that we are men and women of character who can find a way to work through this, hopefully tonight, if not, be ready for tomorrow. But I believe we're going to have to really find out from those 19, what are they willing to accept? Who is their person now that we had heard that there was this other second person? And Jim Jordan. And Jim clearly wants to be chairman of judiciary. Who are they now going to put up? Because that is the question. So if it's, for example, Steve Scalise, if that's the person Uh who instead of a Jim Jordan, and I I know that earlier today, I believe it was Congressman Matt Gates alluded to the idea they wanted a reluctant warrior, not someone who was sort of campaigning for the job and he has serious trust issues, so we say, with, um, with McCarthy. But if it were to be Steve Scalise, is he the guy who could get those votes? If not it, him, who? Well, it's it's hard to say. It, once again, it's these 19. And there are more that are with that. They will have a say. And I, I, think, I think it is possible. Do I think it's Steve Scalise? I don't know. But it's going to have to be someone, and we're going to have to come up with that. It will not be, uh, I do not see us moving past three or four more rounds. You don't think McCarthy will secure it? I, I, I'm telling you, these 19 people are dug in. Will you keep voting in favor of McCarthy? Uh, I think it's important for us to know where what those 19 people are for. But yes, I will keep voting for Kevin until a real candidate solution alternative comes forward. Do you have a person in mind? 
you, you know, it, it would be easy to say that there are not a lot of people <laughs> because we have we, we there are just not a lot of people that have the knowledge, the background, the history, the ability to know that it's a, it's a big job. And so let, let's see what they're for. Once again, the 19 control the fate of this entire matter. I, I, one last question on that point. What is that emotion that you have, given that 19 people are really steering this ship? I mean, Republicans secured the majority. The voters said, we want the GOP in control of at least the House. It seems as though there is a bit of a hostage situation, so to speak. How does that feel in terms of going into a presidential election cycle? Do you have concerns about the Republican Party being able to maintain its hold? Well, the prize is 24. You, you hit on that. Uh, there, there is room, I believe, and time for us to get it right. And that's where these 19, we need to be united with the entire conference. And that is how you win. You win when we're together. When I was chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee in 2010, when I was chairman of the House Rules Committee for six years, we got people together on the agenda because we believed that we could achieve it if we were together. Well, if you have 19 people hanging out where they don't believe you can get there and things do not work the way they want, they'll procedurally vote against the party. Mm. So it's better that we get it right now than just say, we won't worry about the 19. We will cast them aside. They're important. Each of these people are important to our party and procedurally to be together so that we pass what we need. So it's better that we take time Measure three times, saw once, and I have not grown weary of that, but I think there's an end point, Laura. Well, we will see what that end point is. Thank you, Congressman. You nice betcha. speaking with you. Look, after all this, measuring you know, three times, about to be a fourth, there's still not been no one who has really made that cut and no Speaker of the House. The question is, can Republicans get their act together, so to speak, by tomorrow, come noon, we'll do it all over again. Tonight, Republican lawmakers scrambling after Kevin McCarthy sustained a series of, well, humiliating blows on Capitol Hill. Three ballots, leaving him without the votes needed to clinch the speakership. It's unclear right now whether he even still has a path to win at all. What's also clear is the chaos that unfolded was not the message Republicans wanted to send on their first day after taking control of the House. Joining me now, CNN Chief Congressional Correspondent Manu Raju, CNN Senior Political Correspondent Abby Phillips, and Republican strategist Doug High. Glad to have you all on right now and just thinking about where we are. I mean, you heard from Congressman Sessions. Look, I don't know what path to victory McCarthy has. The votes are not there. You spoke to him, Manu. He seemed to be very glass half full. And I love an optimist. (laughs) But I love a realist even more. Yeah. Is he just for show putting on the brave face? I mean, it's hard to get fully inside Kevin McCarthy's head at the moment, but he is making very clear to his allies and publicly he's not going anywhere. He says that he is going to eventually get the votes. He says that there is no scenario in which he will drop out. Now, he did say that perhaps 
there are, he only needs to get to 11 more Republicans to peel off in his direction. Now, that suggests perhaps he may have won some over in discussions that happened tonight. Maybe he negotiated something to have some of them vote present. If they voted present instead of for a candidate, that lowers the threshold about how they many votes they ultimately need in the House But also majority. could help maybe Jeffries. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy world we live in right now. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of iterations that still need to take place. But McCarthy is making clear he's not going away, and he does have a significant amount of support within the Republican conference for now. Now, he also talked, I talked to him also about this conversation he had with Donald Trump, because there has been concern within McCarthy camp that Trump has not been more forceful in his endorsement, in his support of McCarthy. McCarthy told me tonight that the former speaker reiterated his support. Do you need Trump to come out and reiterate his support for you? Uh, Trump, Trump has already reiterated his support. How was your call with Trump? What, what, was, what did you guys discuss? What was the nature of it? I mean, look, um, from that perspective, he thinks it's better that all the Republicans get together and solve this. It doesn't look good for Republicans, but we want to be able to solve it where we're stronger in the long run. Where what we went through today, it, it, in the end, becomes a positive that we're actually focused, united. Does he say, does he want you to stay in the race? And oh, support? yeah. Oh, yeah. But he, even though he has, Trump has called some of these members, it has not swayed them. That is the real concern he has. He went from 19 no votes today to 20 no votes in the final ballot. What's it going to be tomorrow? That is just a, 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 uncertain at this point. I mean, Abby, just think about that. I mean, the number, it's not only just gotten like less 19 to 18 and a long way to go. It's gone up. Yeah. And these people were well aware that Donald Trump had endorsed McCarthy, including someone like Matt Gates, who said, OK, that and what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that this is going uh, in the wrong direction for McCarthy is really bad. And it's really bad, especially because earlier in the evening, they thought that if only they could get Jim Jordan to really give him a full-throated endorsement and uh, and really twist some arms behind the scenes and try to whip some votes, that that might help. And then shortly after Jim Jordan tried that, things actually got a lot worse for McCarthy. So I think that that is just um, disheartening to McCarthy uh, when, when he's being real and not putting on a bit of a brave face tonight. The fact that there was a Trump call tonight, also not the best sign. The call is happening after Trump told a reporter that he was kind of ambivalent about how this all turned out. Trump is very sensitive to optics. He doesn't want to be seen as being on the side of a losing party here. And I think that McCarthy is really on the verge of losing the momentum, losing the optics of this all, where he starts to look like a loser uh, with each successive lost vote for the speakership. He's at three now. Tomorrow there will be more. And the longer this goes on, I think the weaker he gets. This is no optical illusion, though, Doug. I mean, we watched three times. He fell very short of it. And even after Jordan said, yeah, he's the one, still it didn't change people's minds. And this is after the red wave did not materialize. So I think he was probably banking on a great deal, right? Oh, look, if we had a 20-seat Republican pickup, we wouldn't be sitting here right now talking about this. We'd have members sworn in. We'd be talking about George Santos, who's the new member, and what's going to happen to him. Instead of all of this process that we've been dealing with, and a lot of this talk is depressing for Republicans, so let me be even more depressing. (laughs) The United States Senate doesn't come into session until January 23rd. So while what's happening right now is real, and especially in a constitutional sense, we're also still sort of playing with monopoly money until the Senate comes back in. So Kevin McCarthy could try and continue this for two more weeks until the Senate comes back, and then it becomes very real in a very different way. 
Look, everyone, stick around. We're going to talk more about this, more on this chaos, more on when it's about to get real within the GOP. All right, we're back now with more on the chaos unfolding on Capitol Hill as Kevin McCarthy has failed to secure the speakership three separate times today after three separate votes today. Some McCarthy allies telling CNN McCarthy sent us home for the night to a pressure cooker, and the pressure is against him. Back with me now, Manu Raju, Abby Phillip, and Doug High. Look, it's, what, 1030 at night, so it's tomorrow on Capitol Hill, all right? This all starts again at noon. I was just speaking with Congressman Sessions, who says, look, I don't think there's the appetite to go multiple rounds again in this same direction. What are you guys hearing right now on the Hill about the possibility that this could endure? I don't I don't know that we have the patience in the GOP on the floor to keep going round after round. What do you think? I, look, I mean, they don't have a choice right now. There is... The frustration is that every vote is not really changing all that much. There was a change of one vote today, from 19 to 20. And at that pace, we'll be here until January 23rd uh, before anything really shifts. And so I think that's really the source of the frustration. So so when they gavel in at noon again tomorrow, it is going to be Groundhog Day, unless what Kevin McCarthy indicated to Manu earlier tonight uh, represents a, sh- a real shift that maybe he's won over some votes. We'll find out. They're going to be working overtime. I-, I did think it was a positive sign, and I don't know what you think about this, Monty, but I thought it was a positive sign. But there were at least some people saying, okay, I'm willing to continue talking. That is a lifeline for Kevin McCarthy, that people want to talk to him, but I don't know that that gets him basically the 15 votes that he yeah, needs. What a, low, what, what a low bar. Yeah. I want to talk to you. <laughs> I, mean, I got look, a hope. Look, I got a chance. The only way. <laughs> the, look, the, it was different, and it's different than what things were this morning. They had this super contentious meeting behind closed doors. There were swears that were thrown. McCarthy just lashed out at his critics. And one of his allies, Mike Rogers, came out and said that some of those critics, those opponents of Kevin McCarthy, may lose their committee assignments if they keep going that route. It got very tense. It got people like Congressman Chip Roy told me afterwards that actually emboldened the opposition, grew it in the other way. So in a lot of ways, that very tense approach backfired. McCarthy signaled at that meeting he was done negotiating. Well, tonight his posture changed. When it's in that same gaggle of reporters tonight, he suggested we're still talking, we're still open to some of these suggestions. But the problem from his is that there's some members who don't really care about concessions. One of them, Bob Good told me no matter what Kevin McCarthy offers, he's still a no. Matt Gates is still going to be a no. So that's his math problem here. Some simply don't want him. Kevin McCarthy is going to have to make the decision himself, or maybe some others will make it, some others will make it for him that he's got to bow out if he doesn't have the vote. I mean, of all the concessions that he's made, you know, the whole prospect and the whole point of negotiating is so that the two will meet in the middle. But if the middle is anyone but you, mm-hmm. that's not doesn't bode well. And, and you talked about Gates. Remember, he sent a letter to the architect of the Capitol calling McCarthy a squatter. Like, why is this man in the office? He'd moved some boxes in, apparently, and he sent this letter saying, what law, um, what house rule or precedent would allow him to stay? How long will he remain there before he is considered a squatter? And even questioning, Doug, mm-hmm. whether you could still consider him a speaker-designate still even for tomorrow's hearing. But the question is, on the alternative side, who else? I mean, Jim Jordan says he doesn't want it. He wants to be mm-hmm. head of the Judiciary Committee. He's got, you know, investigations on the brain. 
But who else? Who is this reluctant warrior that Congressman Matt Gates spoke of earlier today that might be able to get to that number? You know, no politician is retiring from office until they announce their retirement. No one is interested in that job until they actually are interested and there's an opportunity for them. One of the things that Kevin McCarthy always says in meetings, whether it's his whip or majority leader or speaker designate, is no surprises. And today he didn't get any surprises. He doesn't want going on the floor to find out that somebody's flipped on him, whether it's on the farm bill, which is a vote that we had to pull in 2014. Manu beat me over the head on that one when that happened, um, or today. So what we'll see is tomorrow, are there surprises? Because we have the guns are drawn, right? It's, it's very similar to the, the end of the 2015, 2016 primaries, where uh, it was clear Donald Trump was going to win unless somebody got out. And the answer was, you should drop out, not me. Well, moderates are saying, I don't want this to go on forever. The, the Freedom Caucus saying, we don't want it to go on forever, but they're both saying, so you should blink first. We won't. So who wins chicken? I mean, this is really the question. I mean, no surprises. Uh, Kevin McCarthy doesn't want any surprises, but he's going to have to pull out a surprise to make this work. I mean, at the moment, there is not a clear path to the speakership. Even his allies will say that. It, it's going to take either some great luck or some magic or something to get 15 people to come over to his side who've already said that they're not going to do it. And look, anything is possible in this environment. Uh, Maybe McCarthy gives away the entire store if he has not already done that. To Monty's point, that won't work for about, you know, I mean, at least four, four of the holdouts. It won't work for them. But maybe there's more that he can give. But um, short of that, it's going to be very difficult for him to get there. And I have yet to talk to anyone or seen anyone out there who has actually articulated a path forward that actually ends in McCarthy. And the real concern for McCarthy is if that opposition does grow. I mean, one of the members, Ken Buck of Colorado, conservative member of the Freedom Caucus, has been voting with McCarthy. He told me earlier he doesn't necessarily going to mean he's going to continue to vote with McCarthy because they need to find a speaker who can get elected. And the real concern of McCarthy camp, if the opposition goes to 30, 40, maybe beyond, we'll see, that is going to put a ton of pressure on him to bow out. That's why right now, behind the scenes, both sides are trying to lobby to build up their support. McCarthy's trying to peel away the opposition to him. We'll see how it turns out. But that tomorrow, those first initial ballots will be very instructive to McCarthy's and future. I, I will say it is a kind of a good question about the speaker, <laughs> the speaker's office, because he is in there. Mm-hmm. And it's really not clear how this is going to end. So he's moved in. He may have to move out. If and he's already decorated. But there is no sign. There is no sign. He's already decorated yes, it? What? Got, yes. I've, members who have come out of the office have told me that all this stuff is up there. So. <laughs> Look, yeah. I'm telling you, that, that's a kind of, like, I don't know. That's it's an ego. That's, I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and getting different results and hoping for them. But decorating the office you have not yet occupied, that's a different level of crazy. Thank you, everyone. Nice talking to you tonight. We'll see what happens come, as they say, high noon. Well, tonight we are learning about and more about what happened to the Buffalo Bills player, Damar Hamlin. And unfortunately, he is still in critical condition. This after he collapsed in the field during last night's NFL game. Now we're learning he has had to be resuscitated a second time. That happened once he arrived at the hospital last night. The very latest from that hospital in Cincinnati is next. Tonight, fans of the Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, are holding a village for him tonight. 
This outside the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, where he's being treated after collapsing from cardiac arrest during last night's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. And tonight, his uncle tells CNN that Hamlin had to be resuscitated twice. First on the field itself, and then a second time after he was rushed to the hospital where he is still in critical condition. I'm going to get right now to CNN's Adrian Brodus, who spoke with Hamlin's uncle. Also joining us, CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Adrian, tell us, what did Damar Hamlin's uncle tell you about the condition of his nephew? Laura, he told me he will not be able to rest until his nephew is out of the intensive care unit. But that is where he is tonight, still in critical condition, on a ventilator and sedated. Dorian Glenn, who is Damar's uncle, also said that his nephew sustained some injuries to his lungs due to the chest compressions that took place on the field last night that after suffering cardiac arrest. He also told me or described what the hospital room looks like where his nephew is receiving care. He says Damar is laying on his stomach and doctors explained to his uncle and the family that he's on his stomach to take the pressure off of his lungs so they don't have to work so hard. And perhaps the most chilling information we received from his uncle today was that DeMar's heart stopped beating at least twice. Listen in. Well, his heart had went out, so um, they had to resuscitate him twice. They resuscitated him on the field before they brought him to the hospital, and then they resuscitated him a second time when he got to the hospital. So um, I just want to show my gratitude for the medical uh, staff that were on hand because if not for them, my nephew probably wouldn't even be here. He also said the team of medical professionals here are doing everything they can to help his nephew. Laura. Adrian, I'm so glad you were able to speak with this uncle. We've all been waiting sort of with bated breath to figure out what has happened. And Sanjay, when you hear this, First of all, the idea that he had to be resuscitated more than once, that his heart stopped more than once. I'd love to hear your reactions as to, as to how severe this must be, but also the fact that there's lung damage as a result of the chest compressions, possibly. Talk to me about how that could happen. Yeah, well, so a couple things. First of all, I, I think we do need to obviously hear from the doctors, you know, and get more clarity <clears throat> on exactly what has happened here. I mean, sometimes things get a little bit lost in translation, but nevertheless, uh, two separate resuscitations, um, one on the field where he, he uh, sounds like he underwent cardiopulmonary resuscitation for a period of time and then uh, had a, a defibrillator placed and, and was able to restore a normal rhythm to his heart. But then it sounds like his electrical rhythm to his heart was still unstable. And by the time he got to the hospital, it sounds like, from what Adrian is saying, um, it needed to be, he needed to undergo a second resuscitation. It, it's, it's obviously concerning. Also, uh, something else that Adrian pointed out, the, the idea that um, the, the lung damage itself, or the reason that he may be on his chest, on his abdomen, uh, is in part sometimes because the heart itself, when it's not working well, Laura, when it's not pumping blood well, the fluid, the blood tends to back up. Uh, people develop swelling, for example, in the legs and the feet, but it can also develop swelling in the lungs. 
becomes harder to oxygenate those lungs. Actually flipping someone prone into the prone position can help with that. But it also, again, speaks to the severity of things if that's what's in fact going on here. Um, we, he's still listed in critical condition, which kind of fits the picture that is being described. But, you know, we obviously need to get more clarity from the medical team. And that may not happen for some time. They may wait for a while to get some test results back, get more of an idea of how he is doing, how the rest of his organs are doing beside his heart, how his lungs, his brains, and other things have responded to all this. So mm -hmm. it could take some time before we actually get some, some more medical details from the medical team itself. It's so important to underscore your, the idea that this has not come from the medical team themselves yet, and we are still waiting to hear that specificity coming from the team that, in yeah. fact, is treating him. Um, but on that notion of it's still very early, I mean, it's been almost 24 hours now since he collapsed, and he's 24 years old. I'm, I'm wondering, just given the relative few information that we have from what we've seen from this being a medical event on the field in particular, do you have a sense of what the road ahead is, even for the medical team right now, in trying yeah. to assess where things go from here? Yeah, I, there's there's probably a lot that's that's going on, a lot that goes into the care of this this young man, and his age, I should point out, is is a positive, you know, in terms of uh, the likelihood of uh, a, a better outcome. I mean, that's going to work to his advantage. But I don't want to minimize, I mean, how critical, how serious this sounds, again, from the details that we're now getting. A couple things. One is when the heart is not functioning well, Laura, you, you, you have the goal of trying to improve the heart function. That can be done through medicines that can help stimulate the heart and create a stronger pump, you know, so that it can actually pump some of that blood throughout the body. And at the same time, you may decrease the demand from the body as well. Heart's not working well, let's lower the demands of the body uh, from the heart. And that, that's why, in part why he sedated uh, a medically induced coma-like picture. Um, sounds like, but also things like hypothermia. Sometimes they will use hypothermia, actually cooling the patient to try and reduce the demands uh, that the patient's body has on the heart. Um, those are the things that are probably uh, ongoing right now, and, and that process can take a while. And then even after that process, is, if he starts to improve, you then want to check and see how did the other organs fare here? How did the brain fare uh, through all this? Did it get enough oxygenated blood throughout this? So it can, take, it can take some time. I know that there is a desire, obviously, to get some sort of uh, uh, disposition on how he's doing. And I'm sure they're providing some as much as they can to the family. But it's, it can take days, if not weeks, to really sometimes get a clear idea of exactly how he's going to do from all this. So important to note, and as we're getting more information, of course, about what kind of treatment was even available on the field in the ambulance compared yeah. to obviously at the trauma center at the hospital. Adrian, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, listen, amid all of the chaos that's happening on Capitol Hill, there was one person who was trying to avoid the spotlight. Who was that? GOP Congressman-elect George Santos, staying away from reporters and sitting alone, as you can see there. And tonight, we're actually learning more about his past, including documents showing that he admitted to using stolen checks in Brazil back in 2008. More next.
Looks like there's more trouble tonight for the GOP congressman-elect, George Santos. Remember, they have not yet been sworn into office. CNN has obtained court documents showing that he admitted to using stolen checks in Brazil back in 2008 to purchase clothing and shoes. And Brazilian authorities say they intend to now reinstate fraud charges against Santos now that they know where to find him. He disappeared off their radar for a decade. Now, meanwhile, Santos was a member, was seated in the House chamber today for the opening of the new Congress, but he sat on his own as many members of Congress were socialized with other members or with their families who were also on hand for what was expected to be the big day. Santos is, best, is beset by an ever-growing scandal that he falsified his resume about his family history as well as his financial, educational, and professional backgrounds. Now, he has admitted to fabricating parts of his life story, but there are still calls for him to resign his House seat. Federal and New York investigators are also looking into his claims. Kevin McCarthy struggling in his fight for House Speaker, resulting in really a deadlock that hasn't happened in a century. And what everyone wants to know is, what's the path forward for him or anyone? Look, we're only a matter of hours away now from when the House is going to be back in session tomorrow at noon when they'll do what they did today all over again after they failed to elect a speaker on three consecutive ballots today, leaving Kevin McCarthy fighting for his political life. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes as we speak, including an effort by the so-called Never Kevin Republicans to turn things in their direction. That is Kevin McCarthy tells CNN he spoke to former President Trump tonight and he, quote, reiterated support. Do you need Trump to come out and reiterate his support for you? Uh, Trump, Trump has already reiterated his support. How was your call with Trump? What, what, was, what did you guys discuss? What was the nature of it? I mean, look, um, from that perspective, he thinks it's better that all the Republicans get together and solve this. It doesn't look good for Republicans, but we want to be able to solve it when we're stronger in the long run. Where what we went through today, it, it, in the end, becomes a positive that we're actually focused, united. Does he say, does he want you to stay in the race? And oh, support? yeah. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, the Republican war of words continues. There's this letter from Matt Gates, the architect of the Capitol, questioning... Why Kevin McCarthy has been allowed to even occupy the Speaker's office in the Capitol building. He writes, quote, after three undeciding votes, no member can lay claim to this office. How long will he remain there before he is considered a squatter? Unquote. Now, Congresswoman Nancy Mace tearing into Gates tonight, tweeting at Matt Gates, full ego was on display today. He's going to screw around and get another Pelosi elected speaker. I'll have a lot more to say about this political D-lister tomorrow, unquote. So, look, if you thought today was crazy, our own Melanie Zanona is uh, here today and wondering, how is something and everything shaping up tomorrow? Are we seeing a bit of a Groundhog's Day happening again (laughs) tomorrow? 
Yeah, well, Laura, unfortunately, I, I do think it might be a bit of a Groundhog's Day tomorrow because we are seeing no resolution at this point. After that third ballot where McCarthy failed to get the votes, they adjourned. The sort of camps went into their separate corners to try to work things out. But we have not seen things move in Kevin McCarthy's direction. In fact, I'm being told that the Never Kevin Republicans are trying to grow their ranks and to grow their opposition. I talked to a GOP lawmaker who supported McCarthy, and they said they received a phone call from one of the Never Kevin Republicans trying to get them to change their vote. So it is a sign that the, the opposition is just completely entrenched and dug in, and that at least some of them have no incentive right now to cooperate with Met Kevin McCarthy and to negotiate with him. And meanwhile, you have Kevin McCarthy, who is in his office, he was making calls. He is still hoping to negotiate, hoping to lock down 218 voice, votes, but it's really unclear what the path forward is for Kevin McCarthy right now. I mean, it's really unclear, especially even for Democrats right now who are being a little bit, you know, very obvious, so we say, in their joy about all that's unfolding. We are seeing, you know, um, tweets about getting the popcorn ready and everything else, about watching what's happening. We heard from Hakeem Jeffries earlier today talking about the idea of not wanting to be helpful to try to get Republicans out of the mess they've created. Of course, I'm paraphrasing him. But what about Democrats? I mean, is there some moment in time where there is an appetite for, say, moderate Republicans to try to work with Democrats to figure out who is an alternative to McCarthy? I think it's still early, but yes, we are hearing from some moderate Republicans who say if this drags on and there is no end in sight, that they are willing to start conversations with Democrats about either teaming up to elect a more moderate speaker or teaming up with Democrats to try to get them to vote present or to not show up because that would essentially lower the threshold that Kevin McCarthy needs to become speaker. But of course, Democrats, they wouldn't do that for nothing. They would want something in return. So there would have to be some negotiations there. And Kevin McCarthy himself has said he doesn't want to court Democratic support because because then he could start losing even more conservatives. That could backfire for him. So it's a really delicate situation here for Kevin McCarthy. Democrats have said they have no intentions of bailing Kevin McCarthy out, uh, but they have also not necessarily ruled out, again, that idea of working with, or working with Republicans to elect someone who is much more moderate than Kevin McCarthy further down the line anyway. Well, we'll see where things go. Melanie, I hope you have comfy shoes on tomorrow. It's going to be I a did. long day. I <laughs> changed into my flats. I was wearing heels earlier today, and I've already switched over. So I'm, I'm we, just going to wear the flats all day tomorrow. Look, we all knew you were smart. Now we know you're even smarter. Thank you so much. <laughs> Melanie's known Thanks. to everyone. Listen, Democrats are watching all the Republicans' speaker drama. Well, well, they got some great interest, shall we say. Joining me now, Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna of California. Congressman, thank you for joining me this evening. It's nice to see you. Look, I just have to know about what the atmosphere was like today. We were watching, obviously, the vote tallies. We we're also seeing on camera different pockets of your own members of your caucus and, and Democrats who were huddled together, conversing and watching this all unfold. What is the atmosphere like as you saw three failed votes to secure a Republican Speaker of the House. Laura, I think there was a lot of surprise. I mean, look, Kevin McCarthy has had two months to put the votes together, and many on our side, the Speaker, Steny Hoyer, were actually hoping for the sake of the institution, the Republicans would figure it out. We came in thinking maybe it'd be six votes short, seven votes short, but 20 votes, no one counted on that, and it's just mind-boggling that they haven't done anything for two months to put together a governing coalition. 
Well, you know, shortly after the midterm elections, Democrats were able to get their leadership lined up. So clearly there has been preparation on the Democratic side. I'm wondering, is there some sort of plan now on the Democratic side to figure out how best to go forward on your side? Well, we are going forward. There wasn't a single defection in the vote for Hakeem Jeffries, of course, a historic vote, the first African-American to lead a party in the House of Representatives. And we're very optimistic about our leadership. Here's the, the, the sense. If there are five, six Republicans who want to come across to vote Hakeem Speaker, we'd be thrilled. People have floated this idea, well, what about a moderate Republican? There have to be, in my view, at least two conditions that are met. First, they can't hold this country hostage with the debt ceiling or government shutdowns. And second, they can't have subpoena power to do frivolous investigations against the president. Unless they agree to those two terms, I don't think a single Democrat is going to vote for any Republican. If those you know, goals have not been met or those conditions not met, is there a person who could embody some of those qualities that you as Democrats might be leaning to support? I think it's premature to, to, to talk about specific names. I will say there are people across the aisle who uh, we have worked uh, with and we would work with, people like Brian Fitzpatrick, Mike Gallagher. But the important thing is not the personality. The important thing is, are they willing, as Hakeem Jeffries has said, to actually govern? Are they willing to help work to bring manufacturing back, to not have government shutdowns, to legislate and compromise on immigration reform? Or is their only interest to launch frivolous investigations against this president? We will not give a single vote to a Republican speaker who just wants to use the subpoena power to harass the president and not to get things done for the American people. There was an interesting moment today, Congressman, um, between Congressman Paul Gozar, who voted against McCarthy three times, was seen chatting with one of your colleagues, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and given, of course, the fact that he was removed from the committee based on a tweet that he sent out um, that de- de- depicted some violence against her. It's an interesting combination to have this conversation. However, he was asking her today if Democrats were planning to help lower the threshold for McCarthy. And um, this is according to her spokesperson, she told him there was no plan for that, to try to lower that threshold. Remember, I know we're talking about the magic number being 218, but really it's the majority of those present and voting, whoever can, can, can secure that. Is there some plan that is afoot or a plan that might change tomorrow to lower a threshold to give an advantage to somebody else? No, and I, I think it showed incredible, frankly, graciousness and class from Representative Ocasio-Cortez to engage with someone who had used violent uh, images uh, against her. Uh, But look, maybe this shows that anything is possible in 2023. And the fact that she had the grace to talk to Representative Gosar shows that we may be able to have conversations. But at the end of the day, this is the Republican mess. This is a failure of them to govern. This is uh, their problem to fix. Uh, Democrats stand ready if they want to vote for Hakeem Jeffries or if they are serious partners in actually governing and helping work with the president to get things done. And finally, real quick, I was speaking to Congressman Sessions from Texas earlier in the show today, and he suggested there didn't seem to be a thought that this could go on for round after round after round tomorrow. There wouldn't have been the appetite for a sustained, um, really groundhog's day experience of today. Are you getting a sense that there is waning patience among even Republicans to continue in the quest to have McCarthy as the speaker? 
Laura, honestly, no. I mean, I think both sides are digging in. Uh, the people I've talked to on the Republican side, uh, they're saying they're prepared to fight. This is, this is going to go on. I don't think, uh, I hope it's resolved tomorrow. I don't think so. I think that we're going to be at this for a while, uh, and there are going to be several long nights this week. Congressman Khanna, I know long nights will be here tomorrow as well. Nice talking to you. Thank you, Laura. I want to bring in CNN political commentator Van Jones, also Mark McKinnon, former advisor to George W. Bush and also the late John McCain. Uh, Gentlemen, it was a long day for a person by the name of Kevin McCarthy and promises perhaps Van to be an even longer one tomorrow. I am wondering what you make of this. I mean, it's been it's been talked about as a humiliating defeat as of now for um, Kevin McCarthy. But is it? a humiliation more broadly for the Republican Party in the House. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to get the impression that maybe Republicans aren't good at governing stuff. That's I'm just getting a sneaking suspicion because... Well, Mark McKinnon's smiling at that, so I don't know. Maybe he joins. I don't know. I see the smile. I'm just... This was just a humiliating a circus. I think Axelrod referred to it as a goat rodeo. This is supposed to be one of the most majestic moments in the American process where the people have voted, uh, all these representatives, you go, you pick a speaker and everybody gets sworn in. Your mom is there, your dad is there, your cousins are there. It's a beautiful day. And it turned into a complete unmitigated disaster because unlike the Democratic Party, the Republicans cannot find a way to come together and lead. It turns out Having Trump is no longer enough. Trump is not enough because there's a movement beyond Trump now that doesn't listen to even Donald Trump, let alone Kevin McCarthy. Meanwhile, Hakeem Jeffries has been able to unite the the Democratic Party. We have as many factions as the Republicans. We've got radicals. We've got moderates. But the Democrats are cohesive. They are strong. And the Republican Party is falling apart as Kevin McCarthy falls on his face. Mark, how do you see it? Is it the goat rodeo, which I I would tell you is a new phrase for me. But how do you see it? (laughs) Well, the actual circus is coordinated, so this is way beyond the function of an actual circus. <laughs> completely broken down. But to Van's point, the, the thing that really strikes me is, you know, since the election, uh, McCarthy's had time to put together these votes, and they've really known for more than a year that the Republicans were likely to take the House. And so it really confirms the point that Van made, which is that at the end of the day, it leads you to believe that maybe Republicans really aren't interested in governing that it's more about disruption, it's more about chaos. And you look at those 19 members, people especially like Matt Gates, and I've spent a lot of time around him covering him for our show, The Circus. Um, and it's clear that it's all about performance. It's all about getting on television. And there's no real, I've never had any sense from him or others of that caucus that they want to govern. They, they, they have no interest in making things better. They want this to be a disaster for the next two years for President Biden. And again, just echoing uh, Van's point, which I think is ironic, is the Democrats who are usually seen as disorganized. Look at the transition of power for the party that didn't have the speakership or the majority, a complete smooth transition from uh, an older generation to a new generation of leadership. And the Republicans who have all the marbles cannot shoot straight. I mean, just in the list of people, if you put that graphic back up of those who voted against McCarthy, it's now 20. Um, and some of those include 
people who have just been recently elected, not even yet sworn in, because the rules, I believe, are you can't be officially sworn in on the oath until you have a speaker. Yet another right. hurdle, ceremonial or otherwise, that has not been met. Why you saw kids on the floor and family members, to your point, Van. Um, but just thinking about the idea of it seems to be illusory negotiating. If what the concessions that, that McCarthy has offered, if they don't include not you, McCarthy, it seems that the whole negotiation is fraught. But you have experience in terms of trying to bridge this gap and bridge what seems to be two parties as strange bedfellows getting something done. Is there a possibility that there is a course correction that actually would help the American electorate here? You know, it's just hard to, to see. I mean, this is uh, so unexpected, you know, as Ro Khanna was saying before, uh, you know, people were thinking five votes, six votes, seven, you might be able to do something. When you have 19 and growing to 20, uh, that's a different scenario. And so uh, I think what you're going to see you know, tomorrow, they're probably going to try this one more time. And then, it's, then you've got to start thinking about what are your alternatives. Part of the problem here is that Kevin McCarthy has been so uh, transparent that he just wants to be speaker at any cost. And when you're an empty suit in a hurricane, you get blown around. The, 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 he, he prostrated himself before Donald Trump. We had no principles there. Uh, he looks like he's been the past, you know, his, you know, certainly the past year, just looking like, I just want to be speaker no matter what. That is not a strong position to lead. This country needs leadership. Both parties need leadership. He has not shown leadership. He's actually just shown that he just wants this job. It's not enough. And so I think what you're going to see going forward is there may be some creative ideas. People have forgotten. You don't have to be a member of the House of Representatives to be the Speaker of the House. So they could go outside. They could go get Newt Gingrich. They could go get whoever they wanted to to come in and solve this thing if they wanted to. But I think that Kevin McCarthy's uh, moment is passing. And I think he's paying a price for being an unprincipled empty suit uh, for the past year. And he's being blown around a hurricane. Well, we are out of time, but you know what? The question is whether it's out of time for Kevin McCarthy. I was enjoying all the analogies, gentlemen. Circus to goat rodeo to now an empty suit in a hurricane. I'm here for all of it. The question is who will be here to actually hold the gavel? Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see. Now, whoever becomes speaker, and somebody will eventually become the speaker, but whoever that new speaker is, he or she has just seen a clear demonstration of how difficult the job will be. A chaotic day for Republicans on the Hill, where, as you saw, Kevin McCarthy could not wrangle enough members of his own party to clinch the speakership. Multiply that times three, of course with many Democrats all too happy to watch the dysfunction of the incoming GOP leadership. But with crucial votes looming, will they need someone they can work with across the aisle? Joining me now, Kevin Madden, former top aide to the Mitt Romney presidential campaign, also former Obama White House senior director, Nayara Huck, and Margaret Talib, director of the Democracy, Journalism, and Citizenship Institute at Syracuse University. Well, listen... I'm sure you were all watching today um, and must seeing what happened. It was must-see <laughs> must TV, and even some Democrats brought popcorn. You see this, what they was happening? That. They were yeah. chewing it. I don't know if you want to cut all your chickens before you have You need a lot of popcorn tomorrow. You, you know, that, on that point, I'll start with you, Kevin, on this point, because I'm wondering, how long does this really continue? I mean, Kevin McCarthy could make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. But I was actually surprised that Democrats agreed to even adjourn, as opposed to sit back and say, right. hmm, 
why don't you keep going? Who happens next? I don't know. I don't, I don't think they wanted their, their families to sit through that any longer yeah. than they had to. Um, but, you know, the thing is that there's an era of inevitability here, I think. And what's going to happen, which is inevitable, is that McCarthy could start to bleed votes. Like, the thing that never gets better with these, the trend line always starts to move away from the person who is trying to count the votes versus towards them. So when McCarthy tomorrow starts to possibly lose, go from 20 to 23 to maybe 30, somebody is going to come to him, um, whether it's you know Pete Sessions or somebody else who is, who is supportive of him, and say, we've got to go with another candidate. We've got to have a default, a default option here. And so that's when you'll start to see you know, real conversations start to take place about some next person up. Who really, is that? It was really interesting to hear Congressman Pete Sessions not have that name, talk about the other side and, you know, we need to get together and, and figure out who, who, who you're for and not who you're against, and talk about his own party, right? The other side was not Democrats in this case. And Democrats are sitting around thinking, not my circus, not my monkeys. Right. They're going to watch. And as this goes on, this continues to play into Biden's hand and, frankly, into Democrats' narrative that the Republican Party is in chaos. Now, on that point, I want you to hear it play for you, and it goes to your point about the not my circus. It was Congressman, who, of course, is the minority leader, Jeffries, talking about how they're looking for a willing partner, but not bailing anybody out. We are looking for a willing partner to solve problems for the American people, not save the Republicans from their dysfunction. We haven't had any outreach uh, from Republican leadership or individuals on the other side of the aisle with respect to the chaos, crisis, and confusion that we saw unfold before the American people today. So what do you think about that? I mean, the idea of it not being the circus, et cetera, are they even approaching this in the right way? That, yeah, they, they, because they could extend an olive branch or throw out a life preserver, but... Why? Well, it's also they've had years and years of Pelosi who never let a vote go to the floor until they knew they had the votes. Right. It's about that's also about the other side of the aisle of making sure you're not wasting anyone's time with parliamentary procedure when you should know better. Right. So what, what is the rest of Republican leadership doing right now? Are they effectively helping McCarthy with his ego? Are they trying? How, how is this going to actually lead to something that is a governable caucus? The challenge being these insurgents within the Republican party are not interested in governing. They come from a tradition that is anti-establishment, burn the house down, and that is what they're doing to their own party. By the way, Congressman Bacon is referring to them now as the Taliban 20. That's the phrasing that's not happening. We're talking about messaging. That's not going to help change many minds. uh, Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I think for Democrats, the calculation is obviously twofold. Uh, On the one hand, the, the golden rule in politics is when the other side is messing up, just stay, at, get out of the way. That's okay, the, like the old Boehner quote. Right. Boehner used to have a quote. He's like, when your opponents are uh, is going to jump off a bridge, whatever you do, don't push them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let know? them let, let them jump throw themselves. Right. So for Democrats, uh, you know, instinct number one is just get out of the way and let them self destruct. But I think the second one is that Kevin McCarthy is not someone they see as a governing partner. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin McCarthy, for a split second on January sixth or after January sixth was ready to hold Donald Trump accountable until he realized it could cost him the speakership or he didn't have enough of his caucus with him. And then he stepped back. So um, would Democrats rather have Kevin McCarthy as speaker than Jim Jordan as speaker? I don't know. I I guess so. But Jordan doesn't want to be speaker, though. He wants to be the head of the House Judiciary Committee. Like Everybody wants to have the votes to be speaker. Nobody actually wants to be speaker. I'm not even sure why Kevin McCarthy wants to be speaker at this point. But I think Um, whether he emerges or you were asking, if not Kevin McCarthy, then who? I think we've had all day to watch this play out now. 
uh, Steve Scalise still seems like uh, the most obvious kind of fallback position. The question for McCarthy is, at what point does the tipping point come? And is he then in a power sharing agreement or is he just out? And um, when, how fast can Republicans land the plane? In the Civil War era, we know there was actually a two-month protracted fight for the next speaker to ascend. Two months. But you cannot imagine in 2023 in the modern era that happening in the middle of inflation, uh, Russia's war on Ukraine, concerns about China. Like, plus, Republicans' agenda. They want to start their investigation on Hunter Biden. Two months is unimaginable. Two weeks is unimaginable. And two months from now, we might have more contenders hoping to be the GOP nominee for the 2024 race coming up, which I know is always the enticing carrot at the end of any of these sticks. Everyone stick around. The GOP is certainly a house divided right now, but it's not even a divide of just two camps. There are actually five. I'm going to explain next. All right, the House is adjourned until noon tomorrow. This after Republican members went to three ballots without electing a speaker. It marks the first time that voting has gone multiple rounds in 100 years, people. So what does it say about the future of the GOP? Back with me now, Kevin Madden, Nayira Huck, and Margaret Tolive. I mean, first of all, just think about where we are right now. Um, it's it's not an enticing job, let's say that, for, for any for the Speaker of the House. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's probably not particularly gratifying, although the Speaker title adds to your LinkedIn just fine. <laughs> However, Kevin McCarthy is up against not just 19 people or 20 people at this point. It's a so-called five families happening right now. And CNN's Melanie Zanona and Lauren Fox were actually reporting that there are, quote, These five families in the GOP that McCarthy has had to be in talks with, you've got different ideologies, you've got the Republican Study Committee, Main Street Caucus, Problem Solvers, Freedom Caucus, GOP Governance Group. There are probably some more. It's not as if Democrats don't have their own uh, spectrum within their party. Mm -hmm. But just look at that, Kevin, and think Mm -hmm. about what he's sort of up against to try to placate to give concessions to. It's a losing battle. Well, it's not new, um, you know, and that's one of the the things about the House of Representatives is the minority, managing minority factions within your conference or in your caucus is not a new thing. It's part of the job. I think the real problem here is that over, since 2016, since the ascension of Trump and the MAGA uh, element inside the party, um, McCarthy and other Republican leaders, I think across the country, even in state parties, have had to um, really try and placate this, the, the, the folks that sort of represent the House Freedom Caucus uh, element. And, and placating them, um, they've actually given them agency to, and more leverage to dictate whether or not the party and what direction the party wants to go. So a lot of that has basically now come back to uh, he's reaping what he sowed. Um, many of these Republican leaders are reaping what they sowed. And so they have, they have an energized caucus an energized uh, faction within their within their conference uh, who feels empowered and they're not going to be dictated to by leadership. And at that same point, he needs their votes to become speaker. And um, they don't feel the need to sort of um, play ball with him and they feel empowered to do what they they want to do. So 
Um, it's really sort of slingshot back on them. And by the way, and first of all, it took all that I had not to do like a Godfather voice just now. I almost put yeah. cotton balls in my mouth, had the whole effect. I'm not going to do it here. But I'll tell you what, there's a part that really sticks out, as you mentioned, yeah. Mayura, and you mentioned this. It's one of the things talking about having more agency as the sort of rank and file members. That was one of the concessions mm-hmm. that McCarthy wanted to make to say, that, look, it's not just leadership who gets to introduce amendments and the like. Everyone wants to have sort of a piece um, of the pie. These are not things, if McCarthy is not the person ultimately the speaker, they don't have to agree to it any longer. It starts all over again. Well, it used to be that we would say that Democrats, it's like herding cats. Democrats have to fall in love with an issue, but Republicans always fall in line. And that's really flipped on its head now in the, with this latest generation and crop of co- Republicans in Congress, where that herding cats experience is not there. Kevin McCarthy may have had the title of leader of the GOP, but he was a follower of Donald Trump constantly trying to chase what that aspect and that what that individual wanted. And it's sad to see him talking today about how he has the support of the former president, but the former president himself has not come out to say that or help rescue him. And many of the people he tried to appease along the time of Trump's presidency are also turning on him. So it, it is one of the lessons of history. It applies uh, to world wars and it applies to politics as well. Appeasement doesn't work. But I'll also say people want a leader. They want somebody who will bring them forward and, and going back and forth and not being able to develop consensus over the years to be have somebody else of the party as the leader has been a problem from Kevin McCarthy all along. I mean, yeah. Margaret, can you give away the keys to the castle and still have the respect to be viewed as a leader? You need to uh, be able to govern with some degree of fear for people to fall in line uh, and with uh, an authority. I think Nancy Pelosi managed to do it with a very, very slim Democratic majority uh, these last couple of years. Uh, McCarthy is in a different position, partly because of his own making. Like, what you're talking about is right. The five families are all over the map. Try to take the problem solvers or the Main Street caucus and find the place where they meet in the middle with the Freedom Caucus and good luck, it ain't there. But beyond that, some of this was just baked in the cake. McCarthy, over a period of several years as he has wanted to find the right path to ascend to the speakership, had some choices, some forks in the road. Mm -hmm. Did he primary Republicans in some of these really deep red districts to try to get people who wanted to make policy instead of just people who are provocateurs or people who want uh, to you know, drain the swamp, <laughs> except for their own negotiations, with, which they would like to be relevant. And uh, he chose kind of go along to get along, and, and now he's paying the price yeah, for and it. He has, he has smaller margins. And the other thing, too, is that that element inside the party, they're just less... They don't have the gravitational pull towards governing as much as they have a gravitational, poured, uh, a gravitational pull towards confronting the establishment. And so that's created a very big problem for him. And um, he just doesn't have the same sort of um, ability to uh, really drop the hammer down, to use a nickname from my old boss, Tom <laughs> yeah. DeLay, uh, and make things happen and move votes in big chunks because of the margins and because they just don't they don't respond to the same incentives. Well, so, quick to make Republicans miss Pelosi just for the fact that people couldn't get sworn <laughs> in today, <laughs> right? To that degree of like the efficiency <laughs> yeah. of being able to manage and move on with governing. Uh, but the challenge that he's going to continue to have, or anybody in the Republican Party is going to have, is that typically when you are in the, you only have one chamber. It's the unified message that you can send against the White House that helps you break through. They're already 
starting off the new year yeah. without any You're unions. Right. Yes. The blame, but this is this such is a so, gift to Joe Biden. This is so important. Yeah, this is so going important. to be the blame game Olympics for yep. the next year, and it is wide open for the Democrats and Joe Biden to be running on a record of what they will call success for two years, and now seeing a party that does not have yeah. a coherent message heading the, the into real, a presidential. To your point, the real power of the speakership is two things. First, the constitutionality of it, right? And then the second is that you basically speak for a, a majority body, right, inside the, inside the House of Representatives. And when you, have, when you go into a negotiation with the White House or even against the Senate, right, because the old saying in the House is that the, the Democrats are the opposition, but the Senate's the enemy, mm-hmm. you just don't have that leverage now. And so whoever, whoever becomes Speaker is going to be severely reduced as a result. When you see oh, Joe see. Biden and Mitch McConnell yeah. tomorrow standing together right. while Kevin McCarthy is trying to buy Chick-fil-A and bring his caucus together, it's... That contrast will say it all. I, mean, I don't know why we got to bring Chick-fil-A into it, but Margaret, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I hear you. Thank you, everyone. Nice talking to you and hearing your insight, particularly tonight. It'll start all over again shortly tomorrow. Well, listen, everyone, there are people right now in Damar Hamlin's hometown who are waiting for any answers about the health of the Buffalo Bills player who is in critical condition after collapsing on the field last night. Next, someone who knows Hamlin's family well and all that he has done to help his community in and out of that uniform. Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, is still sedated after having to be resuscitated twice Monday after collapsing on the field during last night's game. That's according to his uncle. Hamlin has become a community leader in the small town of McKees Rocks in Stowe Township, just outside of Pittsburgh commonly referred to as Stow Rocks. He's run Christmas toy drives for the community for the last three years, even starting a GoFundMe to help give back. Now, his starting goal for the fundraise that was established back in 2020, a mere $2,500. And fans from across the world have poured in donations. Tonight, that GoFundMe is nearly at $6 million. Joining me now, Cameron Culliver. He's the Stow Rocks school board president and the president of the Stow Rocks Youth Football Organization. Cameron, thank you for being with us tonight. You know, we've been talking about what happened to him, but tell me about him. You've known his family for years. Tell me about this young lady. Yes, that's, yes, that's correct. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've known Damore for a long time, you know, majority um, of my life. You know, I grew up, I grew up with his family. Um, so just knowing, knowing Damore, as we used to call him more and more, Growing up, you know, we just know this resilient kid that run around the neighborhood, um, gonna see him from the younger the younger years to now to the older years and just seeing how he is and how he wants to give back to his community. Um, constantly never get forgetting where he come where he come from. Um, the more Hamlin, he really embodies what Sturros is in many ways. Um, again, just being resilient and not forgetting where you come from. Tell me about the community of Still Rocks, because part of the reason it was so close to him and is continues to be so close to his heart is the community, is giving back to the young people in particular. I know his parents are also a part of the community. They were at the game last night. Tell me about the community of Still Rocks as to where he does come from. Yes, so thanks for asking. So Still Rocks uh, School District, so we are one of the um, most underfunded um districts in all Pennsylvania. And so with that being said, that should give you a perspective in, in general about how, you know, we try to, you know, make things work, you know, try to provide opportunities for uh, the youth and the community in general kind of growing up um, and just going throughout. 
So the more comes from that, you know, where it's not necessarily struggle, but at the same time, you know, everything's not given to you. So you really have to work for what, for like, for what you get. We even heard earlier from Coach Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, obviously, and he was speaking about um, the fact that he is from Pittsburgh and what that meant, a community just outside of it, and the resilience and the wherewithal. Talk to me about what the community is has been dealing with and responding to what really, at this point, the world watched last night. Um, how is the community reacting to what's happened to him? There's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of love. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of the unknown, you know, what's going on, right? Um, but in respect of the family, you know, we're just being patient and praying for Damar. Uh, Damar is one of those kids that we look to, you know, most of our kids in the community, they look, they look to Damar as a figure. You know, he's someone that they want to be when they grow up. That's not just an NFL player, but just Damar, he had a dream, chased his dream. He's living his dream right now. Um, and he's showing these kids that there's no dream too big or too small. Um, and these kids, it's funny because these kids, they want to beat Damar Hamlin for Halloween, right? You know, so that's the kind of person that Damar is and what he means to the community. They want to dress up as him for Halloween. <laughs> that's unbelievable to think about. Well, I'll tell you, the power of what one person can do to really arrest us all and stop us in our tracks and pay attention to the person, the human being, the person who has been a community leader and continues to give back. We're all thinking about him. And now I know more about Still Rocks and the community that you come from as well. We'll be looking for that. We'll be right back. Brian Koberger will soon be moved from Pennsylvania and handed over to the custody of authorities in Idaho to face murder charges in the stabbings death of four University of, Ohio, of Idaho students. Excuse me. Today in court, he waived extradition. Here's CNN's Veronica Miracle. Brian Koberger cuffed, shackled, wearing a prison jumpsuit, arriving at a Pennsylvania courthouse just days after being charged with murdering four University of Idaho students in mid-November. Koberger was escorted from a holding cell into the courtroom, confirming he's waiving extradition, has no mental health issues that would affect a transfer, and agreeing to be transported to Idaho. Koberger's family in the courtroom crying as he turned several times and made eye contact with them. He faces four Four counts of first-degree murder and one count of felony burglary in the stabbing deaths of Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonsalves. Arrangements currently are being made to deliver Koberger back to Idaho, where he can have continued due process and face these charges. And where he can access information about the evidence against him. Idaho does not release the documents supporting an arrest warrant until a defendant returns to the state. I definitely believe that one of the main reasons the defendant chose to waive extradition and hurry his return back to Idaho was the need to know what was in those documents. He said, I mean, this is not him. Uh, he believes he's going to be exonerated. Uh, that's what he believes. Those were his words. University of Idaho assistant law professor Samuel Newton tells CNN there's still a long road to trial. The government has to put on evidence to support its charge, um, to show that it, there's enough, there was probable cause to arrest and charge him with those crimes. Kaylee's father says he plans to be in court at some point when Koberger returns to Idaho. We're going to definitely look this guy uh, uh, and look him in his eyes. He's, he's going to have to deal with this, and he has been dealing with this for seven weeks. It's, it's not about to end. 
It will be up to the local prosecutor to decide whether Koberger will face the death penalty. The victims were blameless, sleeping in a vulnerable position. The crime was particularly brutal, um, multiple victims. So I think there are many bases for a prosecutor to say, I can charge this as aggravated murder. A death penalty case adds additional procedures to a murder prosecution that could take decades. For many living in the communities at both the University of Idaho and Washington State University, there is some relief. A suspect is now in custody. Imagine living in this. It's been like living in a murder mystery right in the middle of it. A mystery that is far from over. Now that Koberger is cleared for extradition, police say they have 10 days to get him back here. And once he is back in the state of Idaho, that's when that probable cause affidavit should be unsealed, which should tell us exactly why Koberger was arrested. Laura. Veronica, thank you so much. And thank you all for watching. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.